Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the left hand and authority. McKee. What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace, and it is our Wednesday show, so you know what that means. It's Alex Golden and Mike Focci. However, we're going to be split up into different segments because technical difficulties and scheduling conflicts really uh, put a damper on me and Focci recording any episodes together. So, unfortunately, I'll be doing the first segment alone without Focci. But Fachi will be on for the majority of the podcast as he has an interview with Alex Kennedy from Hoops Hype as well as covering the last game against the Mavericks and previewing the Toronto Raptors. So Fachi will be with you for about 40 minutes of this episode, but I'm going to go ahead and start things off in the first segment for about 10 minutes talking about the trade rumors. Um, Not really trade rumors, but the trade interest in TJ Leaf, so the Indiana Pacers are looking to find a home for TJ Leaf where he can be utilized and be given minutes because he is buried in the Pacers rotation. And I think it's the right thing to do because TJ Leaf is no part of the Pacers' future. So move move him somewhere where he can, you know, maybe become somebody's uh, backup center or backup power forward or their third string power forward or center. I mean, he's not even the Pacers' third string power forward right now. So one of those things where he just never really lived up to what the Pacers wanted, and they would like a stretch four. So I'm going to give some trade scenarios for a player or two that I would like to see leave traded for. And if you've already seen my Twitter account, uh, I did throw out there a name, Harry Giles from Sacramento. I I think that this is the kind of move that the Pacers and Kings could make. Uh, Giles has had knee injuries his whole career. However, um, they did not pick up his rookie option. So they're not going to have any plans with him going forward. And that being said, you know, TJ Leave could go to Sacramento. Not saying he would get much playing time there either. I don't really think anywhere TJ Leave goes, he's going to get a significant playing time. But if you can trade him for 
uh, a low risk, low reward type player in Harry Giles. I don't think that's a bad idea. It's it's not the sexiest move, obviously. I mean, we're talking about dealing TJ Leaf. Nothing sexy about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the deals I'd look at. I, I ask, would you be willing to give up a second round pick to trade Leaf for Harry Giles? And I think a lot of people were all in for that deal because they like the potential of Giles, but he's had knee injuries, and so we just saw the Pacers slowly bring Oladipo back from his knee injury. I'm not sure what the medical staff is like in Sacramento, so I don't want to criticize them, but I do know that Indiana has a terrific medical staff, and I believe that the Pacers could help Harry Giles and maybe get him to where he needs to be, but at the end of the day, I mean, if he has injury problems and it's just something that's never going to heal up, is that really a smart move? And I don't really know if it is. But, you know, there's some other deals that I would be interested in and just any player, really. So I, I was looking at my mentions, and somebody brought up. Let me double-check here. I'm going to pull it up on my account. It was a, a good friend of the show. I believe it was Florida Stevie. Yeah, Florida Stevie brought this up. He said, would you trade TJ Leaf in a second-round pick, the one that we got from Milwaukee, to the Atlanta Hawks for a backup center? And Alex Lynn. And I saw some people immediately say, no, that's a terrible move. I would not do that because we already have Goga. There's no reason to interrupt Goga's minutes as the backup center. Well, or as the third string center, I should say. But we've kind of talked about this on the podcast. And I know other podcasts covering the Pacers have mentioned that Goga is not ready for this moment. And with Sabonis and Turner starting... If either one of them get in foul trouble, you're relying heavily on Goga to play with the third or with the second string. And that bench unit with Goga is just a little bit rusty. And I think Alex Lynn is a little more polished at this moment. Not necessarily saying that, you know, Goga's not ready for this moment, but I, I just think that in the long term, Goga is a better player than Alex Lynn because he's a good shot blocker. But Alex Lynn is a little bit underrated. He's he's not very good at basketball. He's on the Hawks. They're not very good. But as a third-string center, he's a guy that I feel like we could trust to go in there, run the offense, play a little defense, protect the rim. He's not a great rim protector like Goga, but he I mean he's not going to just let guys score on him left and right. I don't think Alex Lynn is great, but I do think that he has an awesome first name, right? Okay, I'm just kidding. But Anyway, Alex Lynn, I'm okay with that move. I think it makes sense. I think it's an upgrade over TJ Leaf. Any minutes he would play. Now, I wanted to get a little wild here. I was texting Fachi. I said, hey, man, do you have any trade ideas, you know, with some trade machine stuff so we can do for a segment? He said, let me think of some. And I think he actually had one, but unfortunately we weren't able to do the segment together. But I'm going to go ahead and give mine, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. So we know that since Victor Oladipo has come back, Despite the T.J. Warren injury, um, those those first two games against the Bulls and the Knicks, Aaron Holiday was the odd man out, did not get to be a part of the rotation, and he was cool with that. I mean, what else is he going to do? You know, get upset about it? Yeah, sure, but if you get upset about it and you pout and cry, McMillan's not going to play you. So he's already in McMillan's doghouse to start the year off. I think he's just trying to do this the right way. I'm sure his brother Justin is encouraging him to do things the right way, but I want to see Aaron Holiday play. I don't want to see him behind Jeremy Lamb, behind McDermott, behind Victor and Brogdon. I mean, I understand Brogdon and Victor are obviously going to start. So, yes, keep them in the starting lineup. But I don't want to see him out of the rotation just because we've got McConnell, Lamb, and McDermott playing with that second string in that second unit. So I went a little wild here. I was thinking when the Pacers mentioned – in the article by J. Michael on the Indy Star, 
He said the Pacers mentioned that they want to get a stretch four to, you know, uh, basically do what Leaf was. They wanted Leaf to be a stretch four that he never paid out to be. They want a real stretch four. Now, Justin Holliday's played that this season, but he's only six foot six, a little bit undersized, not a terrific rebounder. He, he plays his heart out. He is a, one of the hardest playing players on this team. I'm not knocking him. I just don't think that power forward is his natural position, but he's doing it um, the best of his abilities, and I think the Pacers have reaped the benefits of that because there's been games where he's really helped him down the stretch, hitting big threes, playing good defense. That's just what Justin Holiday does. But is he a power forward? Eh, not so much. So anyway, let me just jump to the chase here. I was thinking stretch four. Who is one of the best stretch forwards? Out on the market right now, uh, you got Davis Bertans. That's somebody that looks to be obtainable. But I went a little bit bigger than that. I went and looked at a guy from Oklahoma City that has been on the trade block since he was dealt there, Danilo Gallinari. Now, I'm telling you, Pacer fans, Gallinari is the real deal. He he, he is a terrific stretch for, and he is somebody that a lot of teams would covet to trade for. So, the Pacers don't have to give up Miles Turner. They don't have to give up Sabonis, TJ Warren, any of those pieces. However, they have to give up Jeremy Lamb. And that's kind of tough because you got Jeremy Lamb for the next uh, few years under contract while Gallinari isn't expiring. However, with Lamb here, that more than likely means Aaron Holiday is in the third string and not getting minutes. And I don't want to see that. So if I want to see Aaron Holiday play more, I'm looking at trading Jeremy Lamb and TJ Leaf as my as my base package for Danilo Gallinari. Now, unfortunately, salary wise, Gallinari is at twenty two million dollars for this season before he's uh, an unrestricted free agent next summer uh, in twenty twenty. He'll be a free agent this coming summer. Excuse me. So, yeah, it's a it's a tough trade to make, especially when you have guys locked up. Uh, but we don't want TJ Leaf. But Jeremy Lamb, I think the Pacers do covet as a you know pivotal part of this team. So. The other person you have to give up, unfortunately, is Justin Holiday to make these contracts match. And a lot of people are probably like, I don't know if I want to give up Justin Holiday. Trust me, I'm right there with you. He is one of my favorite players on the team. He is one of the guys I was just hoping would be there. But unfortunately, Justin Holiday will have to go in this deal. But if you look at it, Gallinari would be taking his minutes anyway at that power forward spot with the second unit. So it really isn't that big of a deal. And in addition to that, the way Holiday has been shooting the ball, the way that Holiday has been playing, I think that he's going to have a nice payday next season, and I don't know if the Pacers can afford him. They won't have much money, and I think, you know, maybe getting off some money, you'll have Oladipo's extension coming up. You'll have the bird rights to Gallinari if you do want to bring him back at the mid-level exception. You know, there's there's different ways the Pacers can get funky with this. But in a, so what you would do is you give up the three guys, Justin Holiday. Jeremy Lamb and TJ Leaf for Danilo Gallinari. And I know that looks a little bit crazy uh, when you're listening to it. It's like, man, that's a lot of players for just Danilo Gallinari for the rest of the season. I get it. I probably wouldn't do it. But if I'm going to get crazy with it, play with the trade machine, I like it just because it gives the pace a little bit more of an opportunity to be more diverse. You know, you're obviously not going to start Gallo because you're starting Sabonis and Turner, but he can come in. He can play almost 30 minutes a night being the sixth man. Uh, I don't know, maybe 25, 30, whatever. But imagine a second unit of T.J. McConnell, Aaron Holiday, Doug McDermott, DeMontis Sabonis, and Danella Gallinari. That's a pretty fun second unit right there. 
And I think that it might be a little bit worse defensively without Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday, but it might be a little bit more fun offensively to see that unit play together. So, you know, it, it's one of those things. Do the Pacers need more offense? Probably a little bit. I think it makes them more diverse having a guy that's a consistent shooter and, you know, he can hold himself a little bit better in the post compared to a Justin Holiday, especially against bigger size power forwards if one of our guys gets in foul trouble. So, it's it's an interesting deal. Don't think it would happen, but it's something just to to talk about for fun. And in addition to that, I wanted to talk a little bit about Oladipo um, and his increased minutes restriction, moving up from 20 to 24 to now 28 minutes a game. That is fantastic news. Um, it's been a little rusty for Oladipo these first three games, but I think starting him is really going to help. And that's what's being rumored right now from Nate McMillan. There's a possibility that we will see Victor Oladipo start now. There is still no back-to-back games for Oladipo. They're going to sit him out. So depending on if TJ Warren is healthy or not for Friday's game in Toronto, we will know which game Oladipo plays. I believe if he is healthy against Toronto, TJ Warren that is, Oladipo will play in the Pelicans game and set out that Raptors game. But there's a really good possibility that Oladipo is starting on Wednesday night against Toronto, uh, one of the hottest teams in the entire NBA. I think they've won 11 in a row now. So the Pacers have their hands full. I know Fachi's going to be doing a game preview, a game recap in that conversation with Alex Kennedy, so I don't want to get into that too much. But I just want to say Oladipo has really struggled. Hopefully letting him start the game out in his normal starting position helps him get a better feel for things, and he doesn't feel like he has to press so much in his weird uh, rotation because I feel like McMillan's kind of playing him like four minutes here, six minutes here. He's just not getting a very comfortable rhythm. With an increased uh, uptick in minutes, I think this might help him just get himself a little bit more acclimated with what he's supposed to be doing with this team. So anyway, guys, really excited about the future. I know it's been a rough couple starts here, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I I am not too, too worried about the Pacers. It's only February. The playoffs start in the middle of April, and that gives Oladipo another month and a half, really two months before the playoffs start to just get himself familiar with his teammates. And I think that will be plenty of time heading into April to really understand what he is this season and what this team will be going forward. So let's get out of the way. We've got Mike Focci and Alex Kennedy coming up next. All right, everybody, we are back, and we have a special guest here today, Alex Kennedy from Hoops Hype. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate you coming on today because you had an article coming out, I think it was like January 24th, that really caught my attention, and it was behind the scenes of the front office of the Indiana Pacers. Alex, what kind of got you inspired to cover the Pacers? Well, I've been talking with Chad Buchanan since the offseason, the GM for the Pacers, and uh, he liked the behind-the-scenes pieces that we've done recently on Hoops Hype. We do a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes type articles where we take fans into a war room or talk about you know what happens during free agency or during a trade call or recruiting uh, trip or meeting during free agency. We like to kind of take fans uh, you know into situations that they don't usually know about. A lot of times, you know, executives 
don't share this information. And that's always something that I enjoy doing just because I learn a lot when I do them as well. Uh, so we, we've kind of uh, done a number of pieces like that, a number of long forms where we go behind the scenes with the team or uh, a certain executive or a player and then just break down a process. But when I started talking with Chad, he proposed the idea of going behind the scenes of their organization and kind of talking about how they created their culture and the unique challenges of being in a small market um, talking about you know past moves they've made, like the Paul George trade, which obviously they were heavily criticized for, but looks great now. So there were a number of uh, conversations like that, and then I was able to come out and spend uh, a few days with them uh, in December, and it was amazing. You know, I got to tour their practice facility, uh, talk to everyone in the organization, from executives to players to coaches. They were super welcoming and made my job very easy. Um, got a bunch of time with Chad and Kevin Pritchard. And yeah, really, we talked about those things that I mentioned, and I, it was a really interesting look at how they run their organization. Just phenomenal insight that you were able to provide from uh, the front office. And guys, you can find that uh, on Alex's uh, Twitter that we'll be shouting out at the end of the episode. But what was kind of like the biggest takeaway that you took from sitting down with Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan on how they operate uh, this team and what they're really going for? Yeah, you know, I think they do a really good job of running that team in terms of being player friendly and creating a really unique environment, a unique culture. Um, you know, whenever I was went out there to do the piece, I didn't really have anything in mind in terms of, in terms of what I was going to write about. I knew I wanted to, you know, make it one of those behind the scenes type pieces, but I wasn't sure which aspects I would kind of uh, – hone in on and then once we started talking about the culture and the things that they've done since uh the front office was restructured in 2017 that's when chad got hired and kevin was promoted uh it became pretty clear that the article would be about just the way they kind of run things behind the scenes and the impact that that has on the players and the coaches and everyone else uh they have a number of uh unique things that they do one of the things that i touched on in the article was they have uh, they have an agreement with their players that uh, if there is serious trade talks, they will inform the players of the talks and let them know, hey, we're having these talks. Here's where you may get traded, and here's kind of where we're at. And that kind of uh, happened after 2017 when Boston traded Isaiah Thomas. A lot of players saw that and were upset by it because Isaiah had you know played his heart out and was very loyal to the organization. Uh, but then the Boston Celtics traded him after his sister passed away and he did all that. So when they when this front office came together, they sat down with each of their players and Darren Collison actually said, uh, we don't trust the front office. That's the biggest issue here. We don't trust you guys because we can be as loyal as we want and think we're doing everything the right way, then you can just turn around and trade us immediately. So whenever uh, Chad and Kevin were asking, okay, well, how can we improve this relationship? How can we fix that? He said, we want to know if we're getting traded. We don't want to find out on Twitter or ESPN. We want you to tell us. So Chad and Kevin were thinking, okay, well, part of our job is having trade discussions every single day. So we can't tell you every single time your name comes up in a conversation. But if we get to the five-yard line, we're more than happy to let you know, hey, here's what we're talking about. Here's where you may get traded to. But you need to make sure that you're committed to us still. We want to make sure that you're going to be all in and committed because the big fear for executives is that if they go tell a player about a trade, then that player is going to get upset. If the trade falls through, they have to come back to the locker room and all of a sudden feel hurt. We all we all saw that with Lamar Odom years ago, and players have been hurt by that in the past. So that was the fear from the front office side. But 
basically the veterans and the players all said, yeah, you know, we'll still be all in. We won't let it affect our relationship. We'll appreciate it. So then the executive said, okay, then we'll go ahead and tell you whenever there's a trade that's about to happen. So uh, that first year, 2017-18, there were two trades that almost happened. And sure enough, Chad and Kevin went to the players and told them about it. The players said, okay, you know, we respect that you told us. Thank you. And then the deals fell through and the players were amazing. There was no problem. They were still committed. And I think that the players really respect it and appreciate it. That's not the norm around the NBA. A lot of times guys are blindsided. So that transparency, that honesty is very unique, but it's worked really well for the Pacers. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see other teams try to follow suit and do something similar. Definitely something that is not common in the NBA, but I thought also a class act by the Pacers. We had Al Jefferson on the show a few months back, and he was talking about how really when the team came together at the deadline a few years ago, and they asked if they could keep this group together, and it's something that the Pacers honored. So I think that that's something you very much do not see. And you talk about in the article how they're looking for a very specific culture fit and also player development. Now, Alex, being a small market team, which you highlighted the Pacers 25th overall in terms of market size, uh, is this team going to be able to become maybe more of a, not to say premier destination spot, but they put together a pretty good offseason and winning is what should attract more, you know, better players. Is that something that you think is the recipe or is it always going to be the small market that holds the Pacers back? No, I really think that it could lead to them landing some players in free agency and, and getting better. I think when you run things that way, that word gets around to players. Uh, there were a number of players that when I, I talked to former Pacers when I was doing this article, just because you, you, know, you sit down with executives and you hear one thing, but you want to make sure that the players that have been there or that have been traded or cut, that they feel the same way. And sure enough, those players raved about the organization. And that kind of word gets around. It's funny you mentioned Al Jefferson. He's one of those guys that you know raves about indiana and they actually whenever they sit down with free agents uh they call it the al jefferson role if you're going to play limited minutes but have an impact off the court uh, i thought that was really interesting that's one thing that didn't make it into the article and we're actually doing a podcast soon on the hoopsite podcast where we talk about you know little things that didn't make it into the article because there was so much content it would have been way too long of an article but um basically they were so impressed with al jefferson whenever uh, he was on the team whenever they signed him that he was basically the third center um, behind Miles Turner and Sabonis. And they were worried that there would be an issue because he had just been an all NBA player a few years before that. But he was amazing. And they said he's the reason they won, you know, 10 games that year, just single handedly because of his support of the young guys, the lessons he taught them, his support from the bench. They, he was the epitome of a great vet and he completely fit their culture. So literally to this day, when they sit down with free agents and they're looking at someone that may not play a whole lot, but that will still have an impact off the court and with chemistry and then maybe you know called upon at certain times they say will you play the Al Jefferson role and they explain what Al did and that's a a thing that they use to kind of show what their culture is and what they want out of a veteran that may be more of a mentor than an on-court contributor Um, but yeah no I, I really think that you saw Malcolm Brogdon choose this organization in free agency and when that word gets around that this is a player friendly organization that is transparent and honest and that has a very particular way of doing things uh, and it's clearly working. If this team continues to you know, get better and better and win games in the Eastern Conference and go deep in the playoffs, then that word's going to spread and people are going to consider Indiana. I think uh, it, there, there's always that, uh, you know, it's tough to battle with the 
LA's and the New York's of the world just because those are big markets. And those are the things that guys initially think of when they think of free agency. But whenever they learn more about the organization and sit down in these pitch meetings, I think that's where the Pacers can really, you know, help themselves. And again, you have a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who he told me in the article, this is the happiest situation he's been in, the best situation he's been in since he's been in the NBA, and he couldn't be more happy there. So that kind of word spreads. Agents hear that stuff as well and, and, you know, pass that along to their players. So I do think the Pacers are in a great spot going forward. Yeah, because there's also guys like Jeremy Lamb that that chose the Pacers, and they brought in TJ Warren by trade. So, you know, in the article, it talked about how the Pacers typically, they don't do too much at the trade deadline. It's through the draft, and it's free agency, and I felt like this was the year that new faces, more established guys, started to pick Indiana. So I was excited about that, but one of the things that Kevin Pritchard mentioned was that Victor Oladipo would be their midseason acquisition. Now, Vic is back. You had an opportunity to sit down with Victor in December, talking all about his rehab process. Uh, it's been, it was 82 games that he missed since his injury, and he's trying to shake off some rust. What do you think this team can be once Oladipo returns to form? Yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do. They were already playing so well before Oladipo came back, and you know they they basically look at Victor as their midseason acquisition. I talk, I posted a uh, a quote earlier on Twitter that didn't make it into the article, but it was Kevin Pritchard talking about his approach to the trade deadline every year, and he talked about how it's changed over the years. Back in the day, he always felt like he had to make a trade to look like he was doing something and look busy. Uh, and now he says, I prefer the draft and free agency. I like building during the off season and then having continuity during the year and he said he learned a lot of that from Larry Bird because Larry Bird told him look you're, you're affecting people's lives here you're affecting their families unless we can make a trade where we're clearly getting out on top and you know it's not a B for B trade or just a lateral move we're not going to do it why would we uh, continuity is more important and you know, obviously Larry and Kevin are former players so uh, that's something that they you know really value and I thought that was interesting but he even said you know Victor is our midseason acquisition getting him back and seeing what we can be at full strength that's what we really want to do it's not about making big trades at the deadline now they're not opposed to trades obviously they'll look at everything that's their job but uh, it seems like they're you know they're very excited to see how this team can uh, fare with Victor back I know Malcolm was very excited about it I talked to him and he was saying that it'll make this team so much better and it'll make things easier on offense. Teams won't really know how they're going to attack because they have different weapons they can use. Um, I think with the way that Sabonis is playing right now, the way Malcolm is playing, getting Victor back. I mean, this team was looking like a you know one of the top seeds in the Eastern Conference without Victor. Now you add a guy who, when he was at his you know at his best before the injury, was an All NBA guy. I mean, that's just an incredible addition. So I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to not only work off the rust, but them to figure everything out and get on the same page because he's never played with Malcolm Brogdon before, and they need to uh, work that chemistry out but I do think that by the end of the season this is going to be a scary Pacers team and I wouldn't want to run into them in the playoffs I don't think anyone's going to want to run into them because chances are they're going to be even better than their record indicates and their records are already pretty darn good yeah it is depth is pretty much the strongest weapon that the Pacers have right now before Oladipo returned they had seven players scoring in double figures and just kind of uh over exceeded some early expectations uh but when you talked about Sabonis uh Chad Buchanan, it mentions in the article, his first day on the job is when he pulls off the Paul George trade. Is it possible, looking back, that the Pacers could have done any better than the trade that they did, landing Oladipo and Sabonis? Because if you remember, 
People were wanting Gary Harris. I mean, all of a sudden it was the the Boston Celtics. Why couldn't we get a pick or Jalen Brown? Pacers got two all-stars. I mean, Alex, could they have done any better than that? I don't think so. You know, looking back, Paul George was, you know, coming up on free agency. So that always limits a player's trade value because it's not like he was, you know, this superstar that was locked in on a four-year deal. Uh, Any team that was going to acquire him was taking a risk and hoping they could re-sign him. Now, I think, you know, obviously the Thunder were able to do that, but I think that's kind of uh, changed the way people perceive the trade. I think a lot of people forget that he was you know, on an ending contract that he could hit free agency right after that season. So, yeah, I mean, if you're trading a guy like that, uh, it's tough to get equal value in return. So for the Pacers to get two all-stars, uh, it's pretty incredible. And it's not only, you know, a testament to the job this front office has done, but a testament to their developmental staff. I mean, being able, when they made that trade, people were saying Victor Oladipo was a bad contract and he wasn't a star player. People were saying that, you know, Sabonis was talented, but there was questions about his ceiling. I just think the way that they've been able to develop both those guys is super impressive. But that was really, it was interesting talking to Chad and Kevin about that move. Uh, neither of them expected that much criticism. They or they knew there would be some criticism, but not that amount of criticism nationally, locally. Uh, Chad tells a, a story about, uh, yeah, that was his first day on the job, which is insane in and of itself. And then that night when he was kind of getting ready for bed, his wife was texting him like, uh, people aren't saying very nice things about this trade. <laughs> Are you sure you guys made the right move here? And uh, and both of those guys were really worried. But um, they both talked about how uh, the owner, Herb Simon, you know, he was really uh, – helpful and was really trying to comfort them and was saying, look, we're going to surprise everyone. We're optimistic. Uh, And then Victor Oladipo was saying the same thing. He was saying, look, I see what everyone's saying. You're going to look smart. Trust me. I got this. We're going to, we're going to exceed all expectations. And then those things kind of comforted them, but they were still terrified. I mean, when it's your first day on the job, if you're Chad and you make a move and then the entire country is laughing at you and you're ridiculed, that's not an easy situation or easy spot to be in. So it was interesting, but what people don't understand is, and Kevin kind of touches on this in the article, they really didn't have a lot of options. There were only two serious offers for Paul George, and Kevin even said, look, we thought there was going to be uh, 29 teams throwing the kitchen sink at us and that we'd have our pick of these great offers, but really the two options that were only that were serious, you know, actually considerable offers were the Thunder offer and then the three-way deal that would have sent Paul George to Cleveland and, like you said, uh, re- return Gary Harris from from Denver. Um, so there weren't a ton of options out there. It's not like they turned down offers with a ton of first-round picks and things like that. But uh, Kevin did also say that ownership said, look, we're not going to rebuild. I don't want to go trade him for a bunch of first-round picks because uh, initially that's Kevin said that was his plan. He was going to have a a three-year plan, try to get as many first-round picks and young players as he could. But then when ownership said, no, I want to remain competitive, he started looking at underutilized players that could emerge into a star in their situation. And that was Oladipo and Sabonis. Uh, He credits Chad a lot. Chad was very passionate and very emotional. And uh, there were a lot of intense debates behind the scenes uh, in those 24 hours leading up to the trade. He said that Chad absolutely pushed for the Thunder offer. And it certainly worked out. I think at the time it was one of those things where they were criticized because no one could have expected Oladipo and Sabonis to become, you know, what they are today. But yeah, I mean, they certainly got the last lap there. They definitely did. And the inability to predict how Sabonis and Oladipo would develop is exactly why we're not in the front office. But we're going to leave that up to Chad Buchanan. 
But the trade deadline, one of the funnest times in the NBA. You know, on the Hoops Hype podcast, you recently had on Sham Sharina, and you discussed some of the biggest names that could be on the move for this deadline. Uh, so with the trade deadline being in you know, between 24 to 48 hours, who's the player or maybe two players that you think it's inevitable they're getting moved? Well, D'Angelo Russell is the guy that everyone's discussing right now. I think if he's not traded by the trade deadline here on Thursday, then he's probably traded in the offseason. And he's a great player, but just Golden State. In Golden State, he's expendable, obviously, because of the backcourt they already have. And I think when they signed him, they were kind of thinking of him as a trade chip. So Minnesota is obviously pursuing him. The New York Knicks are pursuing him. Uh, There are a lot of teams that are kind of calling about D'Angelo Russell. It's just a matter of making the money work and uh, finding the right kind of offer if you're the Warriors so I think he's definitely someone that is if he doesn't get traded by Thursday then in the offseason that talk is only going to start up again uh there are a few others you know Robert Covington uh who's in Minnesota they've been shopping him they've been talking to a number of teams uh Clint Capella his name has come up quite a bit when I've talked to not only Shams but other executives around the NBA I think the Houston Rockets are are weighing some some things there they've talked to Atlanta Boston Sacramento um it's it's kind of gonna be a disappointing trade deadline for a lot of fans I think because this past summer you saw so many superstar players move uh so many all NBA type players change teams that uh, I think a lot of teams are hesitant to make a move because they want to uh, see what their team can do with more time and more continuity. And I think you're also seeing that, you know, sometimes the trade deadline, we see there's, you know, two, three, four stars that could be on the move. This year, the biggest names are guys like D'Angelo or Clint Capella. You know, you talk about the guys like Andre Drummond or Kevin Love. Uh, that's something that Shams and I discussed. There's really a stagnant market for those guys. Uh Love's contract situation makes him very difficult to move. Drummond, his situation, he can hit free agency in July. So he's kind of like, you know, just like Indiana dealt with Paul George. That's where he's at with the Pistons. So they could trade him just to get something back in return rather than possibly losing him for nothing in July. Or they can try to keep him and see if they can resign him and make this work. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's not going to be any... You're not going to see a superstar player get moved, uh, but I think there could be a number of notable players traded, and that'll make things interesting on Thursday. Yeah, I feel like there's less teams now that are ready to just tear it all down and start over and sell off assets, and more of the teams that kind of want to see their team develop, just as you mentioned. But uh, before we close out, which team in the Eastern Conference do you think is under the most pressure to make a move to get into the finals? Because I got to feel like, I'm not hearing any rumblings about Milwaukee, but I think this is maybe their best opportunity to try and make a move and get out of the East. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Milwaukee's kind of in that position right now, and they have talked about Robert Covington and some other... I think they talked about Marcus Morris. They're looking at guys that could help them win right now. So I do think Milwaukee's in a situation where they're going to weigh their options and see if there's anything that makes sense. The Lakers are an interesting spot, uh, and this actually just got reported before we started recording this, that they're talking about Kyle Kuzma. And it's interesting. They've kind of flip-flopped on Kyle Kuzma. At one point, they were listening to offers, and a lot of teams were calling them. Then they were starting to say, no, we're going to keep him. I think that may have been to help their leverage, but you never really know around the trade deadline. And now, apparently, they're having some conversations about Kuzma. And again, they're interested in players that can help them now. Guys like Marcus Morris. They looked at you know Derek Rose. Darren Collison is someone that's a free agent. 
that they're pursuing and are interested in. So I think, you know, the top contenders right now, because you don't have a team like the Golden State Warriors that are the obvious favorites that everyone just feels like they have no shot against. There's a lot of teams that feel like, hey, this could be our year uh, in, in, you know, Milwaukee, Los Angeles, even if you're a team like uh, Miami or Philadelphia, these teams that have spent a lot of money and committed to them, you know, committed to uh, these rosters, uh, Denver, the Clippers, there's a number of teams that want to that look at this as their year possibly so they could go for a win now move again i don't think it's going to be any kind of superstar but it could be a win now type piece that can help them come playoff time so yeah those are the kind of teams that i think are feeling the pressure uh philadelphia is an interesting one apparently they've shown interest in collison and uh covington as well uh obviously covington played there so they know well they know him well and i think uh that could make some sense but uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. I think a lot of those same teams that are showing interest in Covington are showing interest in Andre Gudala. So, yeah, because they the East is considerably uh, wide open and uh, a lot of teams feel like they have a shot at winning it all this year, you could see some more activity just uh, from those buyers trying to take from some you know teams that haven't lived up to expectations. Covington definitely does seem like the hot name right now to be on the move. He's on a, a team-friendly contract, I feel like, moving forward. And Iguodala, of course. I mean, Memphis has to be able to make a decision. They're running out of time here. Uh, so real quick, I thought we'd end with a little rapid fire on uh, I'm going to ask you a name. You're going to say uh, if he if he's getting moved or staying put. All right. Uh, Robert okay. Covington. Moved. Okay. Clint Capella. Moved. Andre Drummond. Stay. Kyle Kuzma. Uh, stay. Andre Iguodala. Moved or bought out. <laughs> the Memphis said they won't do the buyout. We got to see if they're willing to, to stick through it. At some point, I think they got to be able to just take something for him. Could be two second round picks. But uh, I thought while uh, we had fun with that, Alex, uh, we had to delay this conversation a little bit because you said you had some breaking news. Uh, would you want to share some breaking news uh, prior to coming on the show? Yeah, it's not super exciting. I don't want to get anyone's hopes up. But basically, the NBA has decided to change their three-point contest during All-Star Weekend. They added two new shots, and basically they're uh, six feet behind the three-point line. They're going to be worth three points, so they're worth even more than the money balls. But, yeah, I'm working on that right now. It's I think it's about to come out any second now. But, yeah, that's uh, basically it's called the Dew Zone because Mountain Dew sponsors the uh, three-point contest. But it should be interesting. I think it's an advantage for someone like Damian Lillard that shoots from the logo regularly. So uh, I think it's a way to kind of – change the contest and, and it's the first change the nba's made to three-point contest since its inception in 1986 so kind of exciting will be kind of fun to watch during all-star weekend but not too big of news yeah no you beat me to it i was thinking before the do zone the dame zone sounded perfect because i mean he's just making his, his it seems like every morning you could wake up and, and see a dame highlight from 40 feet back but that's going to be definitely interesting to see you know the all-star game definitely doing some tinkering even with uh, the game to honor kobe bryant so that's going to be fun to watch, but Alex, tell everybody where they could find you on uh, Twitter and social media. Yeah, you can find me at Alex Kennedy NBA. Uh, you can listen to the Hoopsite podcast and check out all my articles and work on Hoopsite.com. All right, awesome. Alex, Thanks. thank you very much for the time today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Keep up the great work, man. Appreciate you. You got it. All right, Pacer fans, we are back, and while we don't want to do it, unfortunately, we have to. We have to talk about the loss last night to the Dallas Mavericks. Now, this was a Mavericks team that one of, 
the better offensive teams. It actually sounds pretty crazy to even say right now they currently have the highest offensive rating of all time, which I think is absolutely ridiculous and blown out of proportion due to the, you know a lot more possessions that are created and the three-point shooting from the Mavericks. But no Luka Doncic last night. The Pacers fall to the Mavericks. The Pacers were at home, and it was 112-103. to And Chris Stops Porzingis, once referred to as the unicorn, I know times have changed, went bananas last night. Season high, 38 points, 12 rebounds, made six threes, which tied a season high. I mean, this game could be summed up in the Pacers are not a good three-point shooting team. They are bottom two in the NBA in three-point makes and free-throw attempts. And it showed last night. Because the Pacers could not get to the free throw line. They were 8 of 11. And the Dallas Mavericks were 22 of 23. But it just felt like every offensive possession ended in a Dallas Mavericks 3. They end up shooting 42%. uh, It was 40% from 3 last night. But it's just the volume of 3s. I mean, I don't know how you're supposed to be able to keep up with that. When the Pacers just aren't a good three-point shooting team themselves. It just seemed like you, you, every time the Pacers went on a run, the Mavericks were able to answer with a three-pointer. The Mavs went 18 of 45 from three last night. The Pacers, 7 of 34. So you have to be able to get with the times here. We can't all sound like millennials just being like, oh, you got to get with the times, you know, three-point shooting, three-point shooting. But that's actually what we need to do right now. If you can't hit a high volume of threes, it's hard to win in the NBA nowadays. The Pacers, over the last two games, both losses, you know, 15 of 58 from three. That equates to 26%. Uh, it, it's going to be hard to beat anyone if you're shooting that low uh, from, from three. So... The Dallas Mavericks, I mean, this is a team that, just to put some context on it, they came into the, the game second in the NBA in three-point frequency. Over 45% from that, and the Pacers are below 31%. So it's just a huge, huge difference. And, I mean, also what, what doesn't help is struggling to shoot from the field themselves. I mean, I am not going to be one of those guys that's going to be on here badgering Victor Oladipo because you have to get him in sync. Uh, Oladipo from the field last night, 4 of 17. It's tough. For some reason, it, it, it was just 1 of 10 from 3. It feels like he's almost better when he's further back because out of his uh, his threes that he's made so far, just 3 of 21 from, from the field, from, well, behind the three-point line, two of those threes had been from close to 30 feet. Last night was basically the edge of the logo and one of the made threes, a 28-foot three that forced overtime. Uh, but also another thing, getting crushed on the glass, you're not going to win a game when you're getting out-rebounded by double digits, and that's exactly what happened last night. In the last two games, the Pacers have been out-rebounded 115-82. to I just don't understand how you're supposed to win those games. Against the Knicks, it was about a, a 20, uh, 20 different re- in the rebound category, uh, a difference of 20. That is just far, far too much. So what went right for the Pacers last night? Not much. I would say it was evident Porzingis could not guard Sabonis. Sabonis finished an assist shy of a triple-double. 26 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists on 11 of 18 shooting. 
it was evident that he was just too physical for Porzingis. But at the same point, the Pacers' perimeter defense last night was just not good enough. I thought the Mavs did a great job on switches, just kind of getting their guys free, uh, free looks from the field. It's just things that the Pacers have to be able to improve on their pick and roll and their pick and pop defense. The, the Mavs just really just made the Pacers suffer from that. Uh, Alex Gold and I, we were talking offline, and, and it was just that was a key, key difference in chemistry. Right now, anytime you're going to work a guy in like Victor Oladipo who needs his shots, other guys are going to have to sacrifice. Now, this was a game without TJ Warren, so I don't think Vic's just going to be having 17 shots you know, from the field and Warren's just going to have none. Obviously, it's going to more even out because you're seeing that for five quarters now, TJ Warren hasn't suited up for the Pacers, and it has not gone good. Uh, I think in those five quarters... The Pacers have only outscored their opponent in one of them, and that was the second quarter against the Mavericks, where the Pacers actually had a lead at halftime. So it was the third quarter. I thought the Pacers came out kind of flat. Dallas was really making them pay from three-point land. Uh, Doug McDermott 0 for 3 from 3 last night. That was something I would have loved to have seen him get going because we kind of needed McDermott, and he's played great at times, but just last night was just not... Not the best from three-point land. Still ended up with 11 points, but just digging up a stat. You know me. Grab that shovel. And Doug McDermott, when he takes zero dribbles, he's attempting 3.7 three-pointers per game. So it just shows how great he is coming off a screen, a a catch-and-shoot. When he has to dribble one or more times, he's only attempting .4 three-pointers. It's obvious that we need to be able to get him some space. Uh, Justin Holiday was someone just one of three last night from three. So it, it, it was tough. Brogdon has struggled with his shot lately. Just six of 17 last night. Um, you want to be able to get Brogdon and Oladipo going. Because so far, it, it, it's the combination we've waited for all year. And I want to preach patience. Because obviously, you got part of the fan base coming at Oladipo saying we were a better team without him. Guys, he's the leader of this team. He's probably the, the most talented player on this team. We have to give him time. So, just in dating back to, to Brogdon, um, since January began, you know, Brogdon shooting 54 of 135 from the floor. That's just not good enough for a guy who shot over 50% last year. So, uh, I mean, those numbers equate to just 40% shooting. So, I got all the faith. We're going to be able to pick this up. And uh, I just want to say we're moving on because we're on to Toronto. And we're going to give you a little preview of that coming up next. Wednesday night, our Indiana Pacers go into Canada to take on the Toronto Raptors, the defending champions of the NBA. And they are scorching right now. The Raptors have won 11 straight, trying to go for a franchise record 12 straight wins And the only thing that stands in their way is the Indiana Pacers. All right, we are here to rain on their parade, but it is not going to be easy because the Raptors are playing some phenomenal basketball right now. Over the course of their winning streak right now, they are averaging just about 121 points per game, which would lead the NBA if stretched out over a season, but just 11 games. Uh, And they're shooting over 50% from the field. 40% from three-point range. They're doing pretty much everything right. And that's what happens during 
a winning streak this large. To make matters a bit worse, they're on an 11-game winning streak during the regular season at home against the Indiana Pacers. So you're thinking like, oh my God, give me something over here that, that, that can help out. Well, I don't have much for you. It seems like Norman Powell and Marcus Gasol may miss the game. Not the biggest difference makers for them. Obviously, Gasol is a former Defensive Player of the Year. And the Raptors are obviously better when they have Gasol. But what do you need to know about this current Raptors team? Well, they have two All-Stars. Pascal Siakam is having just an unbelievable year. He started out the year just on a tear. And he's averaging just under 24 points per game. About 8 rebounds per game. Just a, a monster on the court. And then Kyle Lowry. Uh, someone who I thought was going to take a step back. He's getting older. But you know what? He just shows how valuable he is to the team. Kind of splitting point guard uh, duties with Fred Van Vliet. They, they make it work. They start both of them. And Van Vliet's having a career year. 18 points per game. 7 assists as well. I don't know how they're able to make this work as well as they do. But they have. Uh, so right now, this is a team that has six players in double figures. Can't sleep on Serge Ibaka. He's averaging 15.5 points per game. Um, and he's obviously a, a great shot blocker. He's always been a great shot blocker. This year, he's not playing as much as he used to in the past, but still someone who can hold it down low while Marcus Gasol is out. Uh, the Raptors come into this game. Guys, I got bad news for you. They're a top three three-point shooting team in the NBA at 37.5% from the field. That is not what you want to hear when you just struggled against the Dallas Mavericks. So, I mean, what are we going to do? This is a team that ranks 7th in the NBA at 36, uh, just over 36 three-point attempts per game. And in terms of made threes, they're 5th in the NBA at 13.6, while our Pacers unfortunately rank 2nd to last. So you got to be able to get with the times and you got to be able to do it quick because right after this game against the Raptors, the Pacers return home to play the Raptors again. So what can we do to get back on track? Well, you, you hope TJ Warren returns, but I got a bad feeling that Warren's probably going to sit out the game on Wednesday against Toronto in Toronto. He's suffered from concussion-like symptoms in the past. Back in 2016, he missed a full month. So I feel like maybe Warren's available for Friday's game uh, in Indiana against Toronto, but I'm not expecting him uh, to travel to Toronto and play in the game. So you're really hoping that with the expanded minutes of Victor Oladipo, they're, they're saying from 24 to 28, and maybe shaking off some of that rust. I mean, no one is trying to get tetanus right now, but Victor Oladipo is looking rusty. We need to preach patience here because... He's trying to get back in his sink, but do it during these live games. I mean, could they have put him in a, in a game in the G League or, or two, maybe something to help? Sure, they could have, but it's Victor Oladipo. I mean, this is someone who you trust. You know he'll shoot himself out of a slump. And it's just Malcolm Brogdon's another person that we got to be able to get out of this slump. We can't have Brogdon just struggling from the field in January. It, it, it's been rough for Brogdon, the guy who formerly shot over 50% shooting closer to 40% uh, through the month of January, and now we're into February. Just a two-game sample size. We're not even going to bring that up. I saw a tweet earlier, someone trying to bash Brogdon shooting percentages in February. Just two games. 
Come on, guys. That's that's ridiculous. So, Pacer fan base is split. Some guys are trying to blame Oladipo now. Some, t- some guys are saying just give him time. Guys, it's Oladipo. This is the leader of the team. We're going to give him time. It's going to be fine. So, do we think we can win this game? Sure, you can't rule anything out. The Pacers beat Toronto the last time they played them this year. The bad news is Siakam didn't play in that game, and the Pacers won in overtime. Not the best sign when they won 120-115, to 115, but you just got to be able to do anything you can to stop Siakam. I feel like the Pacers' bigs in this game, you know, you're going to obviously need Sabonis to be Sabonis, but you're also going to need... You know, Miles Turner to be Miles Turner. And the one good thing that I think here is I'm not scared at all by the three-point shooting of, you know, the the Raptors' bigs. I know that, you know, Serge Ibaka is actually a pretty good three-point shooter, but, I mean, shooting just under 40% from the field, but the volume is way lower. Under three, point, under three three-point attempts per game. Doesn't scare me like a guy like Kristaps Porzingis where he unloaded 13 threes on the Pacers, um, so I feel like this is a game where it's more going to be the Raptors guards that are really letting it fly, Lowry and Van Vliet, uh, so it, you got to hope that Oladipo can just try and be a little bit more of Oladipo, and Brogdon, I think lately has gotten a slower start, he picks it up in the fourth quarter, where we're going to need him to be more consistent throughout the game, because this is going to be a battle of backcourts. And right now, I mean, guys, Toronto has two all-stars. I know one of them is only one of them is in the backcourt, but Van Vliet has really established himself as one of the hot commodities uh, this summer in free agency. This is a guy who was undrafted, so I got a lot of respect for Van Vliet. But at the same point, I'm rooting for these Indiana Pacers. And I think that it's going to be hard to, to stop this streak because... Well, a 12-game winning streak will give the Raptors a a franchise record, but we're not going to give them that 13th straight win. So if the Pacers do not win this game, I think they can come back and split the series, pick up a game at home where the Pacers have lost two straight at home. It just does not feel like the Pacers to go on a big losing streak at home. I think we could respond well, especially if TJ Warren returns in that game. So Toronto, they're also a top three defensive unit in opponent points per game. They're middle of the pack in scoring. I believe they're 12th in the league in points per game at 112.6, just .1 behind Boston. So you could see that obviously they're doing some, some really good things. That's why they're the two seed in the NBA. The The scary thing is the Pacers could end up facing Toronto in the first round. So you're going to want to at least... I mean, man, you got to do anything you can. You want to avoid that. Hopefully, Toronto is is maybe peaking at, at the wrong time because if the Pacers end up as the sixth seed, they could face Toronto as the three seed. So you really want to be able to get in that four or five matchup. Uh, so for the Pacers, it's going to be pretty pivotal to be able to pick up a, at least one win against Toronto these next two games after dropping a game to the Knicks, the lowly Knicks. Can't be doing that, but hey, guys, you're not going to win every single game that you should. I also thought the Pacers should have won against the Mavericks without Luka Doncic, but at the same point, the Mavs, just they made it rain from three, and that's kind of what I'm worried about Toronto trying to do again. Hopefully, maybe similar styles of offenses in terms of how often they shoot threes. Um, 
So, I mean, both of those teams are in the top seven in three-point attempts, the Mavericks and Raptors, that is. So the Pacers are going to have to come out with a strong backcourt performance. We're going to need Brogdon to kind of be more vintage, like November Brogdon than uh, January Brogdon. But also, I'd like to see Miles Turner get some more touches. I like when Miles is aggressive if he has the opportunity to be able to shoot over some smaller guards if it comes down to it on switches. I think that that's something the Pacers are going to have to take advantage of. Just be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, and then I'd say, hey, you just got to hope for the best because when a team's this hot, obviously they're clicking. So that has been another episode of Setting the Pace. You guys can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. My co host Alex Golden can be found at Alex Golden NBA. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to leave a rating or review anything we can improve on, anything that we're doing great. We'd love to hear from you guys. And one last thing, let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.